Hi, everyone. I'm Philip Mead. And I'm Scott Stigmeyer. And I'm Danny Webb. And this is The Blackest Eyes, a place for intelligent conversation about horror movies. Today's show is episode three of season two, and in this season we are discussing slasher movies. Tonight we will review a 2016 Finnish film called Bottom, and in Finland it's referred to as Lake Bottom, directed by Tanelli Mistanen. And as always, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast catcher. If you like the show, you can always support us for $5 a month at Patreon. You can read all about that at patreon.com forward slash the blackest eyes. I'm looking forward to our discussion on this movie. So let's do it. Danny, good to be back with you guys, as always. Certainly happy to be discussing a foreign film today, and in particular, a Finnish film, which, as we discussed before this podcast, none of us have seen a Finnish horror film. Uh, But before we get into our discussion, I want to briefly mention that today, just a few hours ago, the news broke of the death of Eddie Van Halen. And as someone who played guitar for several years in a band, as someone who loves hard rock music, uh, Eddie's passing hit me pretty hard. It was a it was a punch to the gut. It is a reminder once again that life is so precious and time is so short. And I'm thankful for the life and talent of Eddie Van Halen. Okay, so let's get to it, Scott. I think you are up for the plot summary. So if you're ready, man, go for it. Okay, so um, yeah, I'll do the plot summary. It's based on a uh, based on a true story or inspired by a true story. And um, so it's, it's kind of a classic slasher setup. You've got uh, four young people, two guys, two girls. They're college age, college students, and they are going, well, at first they're saying they're gonna go up to the woods to stay in a cabin. So, I mean, that's a perfect slasher setup. Cabin in the woods, young people um, camping. But on their way up there, we find out that um, one of the boys, whose name is Atta or Ate, Atta, is a um, he's kind of really into true crime and he's into the actual uh, history, historical murders that took place there in 1960. And um, so he's kind of into that. So he's looking at these murder photos and you don't know. It, obviously, he's got something else planned. They get up there. There is no cabin. The girls were dragged up there under that false pretense. And in fact, they're going to camp in a tent um, on Lake Bottom. I, I got the impression that it might even be the same site where the murder, historical murders took place. And Ate has this idea that he wants to sort of reconstruct the situation of the murders, original murders, thinking this will give him some kind of insight to help solve this crime because the killer was never nabbed. I mean, that's all true. Those, those statements about it are true. Okay, so he, 
has kind of this weird idea. The girls are about the same size and uh, he even has them, one of them, you know, dressed in a bikini that looks the same. I mean, it's just kind of little weird details. They sleep in a tent and um, uh, things get kind of, I mean, I think it's kind of a slow burn, but it actually gets uh, ramped up fairly early on in the film. Um, the, uh, oh, oh, one other piece, very important piece. The, the young woman, Ida, uh, uh, young, uh, blonde Finnish girl, uh, there's something that, that happened to her. And at first we don't know exactly what, uh, that I thought maybe she'd been sexually assaulted or that she'd been raped. And she, there's a scene where she's with her family and she wants to go, she asks permission to go with her friends off to camp and the dad is like this super hyper strict puritanical kind of religious guy and he calls her bad names because this thing happened to her doesn't want to let her go anyway so she does get to go and um so there's all this stuff in the background there's the historical murder and then there's ida's um past whatever that event was that happened to her so um, they kind of get themselves freaked out a couple of times when they're uh, in the tent together at night in this place. The four of them, there are some mysterious sounds. There's a couple of jump scares. And at one point, uh, Alias and Nora are, are gone. They're, they've gone off into the woods. And it's just Ida and Atta, and they are in the tent and... Um, you know, like the tent shakes or there's some kind of a, the tent gets pushed over. Atta goes out to look. And um, then when he's kind of climbing back into the tent, he gets hatcheted in the back. Uh, Ida thinks he's just kidding around. that she, He's trying to spook her. But no, he really did get hatcheted in the back. So she screams. And the other two come running over. And Atta is lying there bloody and dying. And he tells them to run, to run away and escape. And that's what they do. The three of them take off into the woods. They're going to try to run to the car that they had parked. And as they're running off, Nora falls. She injures her ankle and, and tells the other two, now you guys just go, leave me here, send back help, hurry up. So now it's just Elias and Ida, and they're running through the woods. They get lost. They're running in circles. And... At one point, they kind of just stop exhausted in the woods, and Elias reveals uh, a little bit of a secret to Ida. He, he tells her that she needs to uh, consider whatever this uh, bad thing that happened to her. We find out that apparently she had had a stalker who had taken naked pictures of her, that she had gotten intoxicated at a party, and somebody took advantage of her, and... Um, and took these sexual pictures of her, assumedly posting them on the internet. But Alias said he looked for them on the internet and he couldn't find anything. So he tells Ida that he thinks that they're not real, that this is a hoax, that she's been pranked. Uh, Ida says no, because my friend, my best friend, Nora, has saw, said that she saw them. While they're standing there in the dark talking about this, Alias professes his love for Ida, and he actually says, my heart beats for you. And at that moment, an arrow or some kind of metal piece pierces him right from behind through his body, and he falls down. And there's a hooded killer there standing there with um, a knife, and this hooded killer just, just knifes 
alias to death. And Ida stands there and watches. The killer stands, pulls the hood down, and it's Nora. Nora, the friend, um, had killed the boys, we think. And as the girls talk, they had some kind of plan cooked up to do this. We don't know what. But they put on coveralls, they, they throw the bodies into the lake, and they run back to the car to get away, and they're going to destroy the car. Why they murdered them, we don't know yet. But as they're going in the car, they begin to talk. And Ida asks her friend Nora about the pictures based on what Alias had told her that they're not real. And we kind of learn <laughs> that uh, Nora had been the one who faked it and made it all up. And presumably because she maybe loves Ida or they're just super good friends or maybe they're lovers. And Ida is attracted to Alias and is kind of uh, infatuated with him. So Nora cooks up this plan um, of uh, this hoax with these nude photos that she blames on Alias. So that's, and so they got to kill him. And I think Atta just kind of gets killed along the path, along the way. As the girls are, are they're kind of arguing and fighting with each other. So they swerve off the road into the ditch. When they're in the, in the ditch, um, a mysterious man in a in a truck with a hitch comes up, hitches them, takes them out, and um, uh, turns out he's a bad guy. So he 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 pulls them out. Eventually, he ends up with them both sitting in his uh, campsite with them, uh, stripped down, tied up, and potato sacks on their heads and some kind of glue holding their mouths closed. He kills Nora, and um, Ida then gets dumped on her on her lawn and the, the voiceover at the end suggests that uh, nobody believes her tale that there was this mysterious trucker in the woods who killed uh, her friend Nora and also possibly Ate um, and they think she did it maybe so okay that's my overview of the, of the plot okay good job man <laughs> okay Danny overall impressions what'd you think of bottom I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know that I loved it. I thought it was incredibly well shot. I thought just the cinematography, the the lighting, the, all the scenes filmed at night just had this amazing look to them. It, one of the best nighttime cinematography, or I don't know, they may have been shooting day for night. I'm not sure what the process they used, but everything looked great. The Everything was moonlit and just looked wonderful. Uh, I, I liked this, the idea that the two girls had this elaborate killing planned um, and watching that play out and then kind of fall apart uh, almost like a heist film or something uh, or a thriller uh, was interesting um, a little bit slow paced and but uh, overall I would say uh, give it a thumbs up I would recommend it I actually am surprised at how low the ratings are for it when you look on stuff like IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes um, it, I, I think it's definitely better than it seems its reputation is Scott what about you man so I also liked it um, I probably will have some of the same comments that Danny did I liked it I didn't love it it was um, it was clever. I did like the um, sort of plot twist. You didn't know who the killer was. Then you find out that, you know, there's one killer, but maybe there's a second killer. So I kind of like, I thought the twists and turns were effective. I was genuinely surprised by a couple of them. Um, I thought the actors were, were good. I, um, maybe it's just because I was watching the movie on a, on my computer laptop in the middle of the day in a well-lit room. But when, when the 
cinematography is dark. I can't see. I don't know. It's probably my device's problem. But so I had some difficulty with the low lighting, being able to tell what was happening sometimes. But that's probably not the movie's fault. I would give it a thumbs up. I would recommend it. Um, it it's it's kind of short. Um, uh, yeah, it's stylish. It's You can kind of tell it's sort of a Scandinavian uh, kind of thing. It's kind of dark and more than just the, the lighting. But, um, yeah, so I thought it was good. I really enjoyed the movie as well, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to enjoy it after the first 15 minutes. About the first 15 minutes of the film, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to go for this movie. I thought the first few minutes were fine, but nothing special. I thought the cinematography was good. I think the lighting was incredibly well done, as you said. But it seems like the director, at one early in the film, I was thinking the director is just trying to find creative ways to make this shot. And even though maybe they were creative, I don't really want to be thinking the director is trying to find creative ways. I don't I don't want that to have to come to my mind. There was the obligatory bird's eye view shot of the vehicle traveling down the road. It seems that that crops up in virtually every modern day horror film these days. Uh, the the steady cam usage it it was beautiful, but it it just seemed like things we have seen a million times. And of course, there may be how many how many ways can you use a steady cam? How many shots can you get? But pulling back and seeing the forest. It, it looks like a lot of scenes that I have seen in a lot of modern day horror films done very well. It, it didn't take away from the film, but I was left thinking this, this looks very familiar to me. But as the movie continued to progress, those issues disappeared for me. And I think that happened as the emotion of the film increased for me. This is a story of revenge. It is a story of revenge and the attempt to be set free from an overwhelming burden. Uh, as a matter of fact, Nora tells Ida after the murders were completed, she says to Ida, you're free now. And because of that, I think the movie has multiple uh, faith elements here that we can discuss. And the one I want to begin with is the one of the opening scene where Ida is eating with her family, and it's the scene almost seemed to use hyperbole. It was so depressing. It was so oppressive. Eating soup like almost at the same time and uh, very intentional, very deliberate, very somber, very slow. And then we get that combined with dialogue later in the film that is referring to Bible thumpers. And twice Bible thumpers are referenced always in connection with all they want to do is talk about sex. Bible thumpers, all they want to do is talk about sex. And so one aspect I want to explore here right at the beginning is the reputation of conservative, maybe we would even say fundamental, churchgoers worshipers. I think this movie tends to view Bible thumpers as people who are most interested and maybe only interested in a particular kind uh, of behavior that is governed by a particular biblical ethic. And sexual related issues seem to dominate. So gospel elements such as grace and forgiveness and righteousness and identity in, in Christ and so forth, all that really matters is what are you doing and are you doing the right thing? And at the top of the list is don't have sex. So, Danny, I want to ask you first just an experiential question here. As a layperson, Danny's not a pastor. He's not on staff at a church or anything, uh, but he's involved in the local church as a layperson. What's your experience been like in the church? What have you just noticed as it relates to concern for behavior compared to teaching of who we actually are, what our identity looks like. 
in Christ. The two obviously work together, but I'm curious about outside perception. What was your experience like in that? Do you think, in fact, that those who are committed to Christianity are seen from the outside as all they're really worried about is what you do, and it kind of stops at that, and they just want to thump you because of your behavior? How would you respond to that? I've certainly heard Obviously, that's a you know a cliche or a you know, a common opinion uh, of people who aren't churchgoers. Certainly, uh, as far as my you know experience inside the church, um, I've basically gone to the same church for thirty years, and it's very gospel focused. A very uh, it, it there's not a lot of preaching about stuff like sexuality or anything of that nature it's it's not as focused on you know sin it's more focused on salvation um so i I don't feel my my personal experience but it is obviously a horror movie cliche right the the puritanism uh, aspect of horror is is incredibly common uh sex gets punished uh, uh people who behave in a certain way need to be punished or uh, parents who are religious are obsessed with the sexuality of their children of their you know their teens Um, that felt very horror movie uh, cliches probably being mean it it, is a common horror movie theme Um, but I don't know if I I really didn't bring much of my personal ethos or experience into it Scott what would you say all right I have a couple comments on that so um so I'm, I'm a Lutheran pastor, Lutheran theologian, and uh, this is in Finland, and the Finnish church uh, is, is Lutheran. And so most of the people in Finland are technically members of the Lutheran, the Finnish Lutheran church. Okay, It used to be a state church, now it's not quite, but it's, it's the official church. Most people get baptized, most people get confirmed, they get married, they get buried through the church. But very few of them, maybe 1%, actually go to church. and But it's still listed as sort of the main religious body in the country. Other than that, it would be secular, okay? I mean, agnostics. And then tiny groups of others. Now, the, um, the thing about uh, Scandinavian Lutheranism is that there, there is a, in the past, there has been a strong strain of what, what we would call pietism. So within Lutheranism, there's this movement, the pietistic movement, and the pietistic movement is known or criticized for being highly moralistic, uh, but within the Lutheran uh, world. So that's what I read this as. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is in Finland. This is this is obviously going to be a, a Lutheran family, clearly from the pietist perspective and it's very harsh and of course it is a bit caricature i thought it was over the top i thought you know the movie is really a realistic movie but that scene even if you want to portray them as highly moralistic this actually looked like you know psychopathic um something really beyond just being uh, moral moralistic um, and if I may, there, there's actually an, another movie. It's not a horror film, but there's a, there's another movie that really does a much better job showing this sort of uh, morally rigid kind of Lutheranism and Christianity. And that's called Babette's Feast. It's not a horror movie, but there's a, a 
it's it's a it's an excellent movie but in part of the movie you do kind of see this sort of somber you know maybe even kind of joyless sort of approach to christianity that i think this was trying to portray too as we look back on the church over the last several decades one of the things that is prominent in people's minds as a, in america and as we think about politics and the way that religion intersects with politics and uh, public life is the idea of the moral majority or the extreme right. And for whatever reason, uh, whether it's legitimate or whether it's not being fair, the ideals that are connected with that are ideals that are related to what you do, what you do with your body, how you behave, how you respond in certain situations. And I don't know if the church historically has done a great job of pushing back against that. Uh, if we have conservatives in office, if there are conservatives who are saying things that at least in some way line up with a Judeo-Christian uh, ethic, then we're pretty happy about that, even though it may push against the very foundation of our faith. You know, piety is not in and of itself a bad word. That's a good word. But when we begin to think of our faith, our piety, as just what we do, and that's it, and that's what we want people to know about Christianity or know about our faith, then it won't be long till we will be seen as oppressive because that's not the gospel. The gospel is not just behavior. It's connected, and it's important. Uh, our lives will be transformed, and we'll become zealous for good works and so forth. But that's not the fundamental meaning of the gospel is the identity. And so I, I think the church has a role to play in this to a certain degree. Uh, we are not first and foremost, a political body. And when we begin to align ourselves, this is very contemporary, obviously. This has implications in this election year and Joe Biden and Donald Trump and some of the hypocrisy that is pointed at the church and conservatives and so forth. Uh, that's, that's a lot to draw out from two lines in this movie, but it, it caught me. And I, I recognize that connecting to some of the other things. You remember, Scott, at one point they said... Um, when she, when they're kind of having the argument in the car and Nora is screaming at her and says, your parents are right. And then do you remember what she said? You're worthless. You're worth. Oh, yeah, yeah, worthless. yeah. Yeah, when they're fighting. Right, you, yes, exactly. You don't account yeah, for anything. So what, what are the parents teaching Ida here? That your worth is solely connected on what you have done with your body. And so what she's been hearing then from the fundamentalist parents is you're worthless because you messed up. And what's horrifying about the movie is it never even happened, as the photos actually were, in fact, uh, a rumor and didn't even happen. So those are some pretty, pretty serious themes and I think important ones. A second thing that I pointed out here is that the concept of Elias being a scapegoat was mentioned in the film. Did either of you remember that line? I didn't catch it mentioned that way, no. No. Okay. Then this is going to be not much of a discussion, is it? Uh, <laughs> the blame of the naked photos was going to be placed on Elias in order to accomplish a particular goal. In this case, it's Nora's selfish goal of winning Ida's love. And she specifically refers to Elias as a scapegoat. Surprised you didn't catch that, Scott. So uh, we think about the biblical implications of the scapegoat ritual in the Old Testament and then Christ being known as 
our true and better scapegoat who takes on the sins of the world, our sins, in order to achieve uh, the Father's will and the desired result. We won't chase that rabbit since neither of you remember the scene or um, the statement that was said, but it's there. And so we have that imagery, which is without question biblical imagery, of uh, someone else taking the blame in order to get uh, accomplished what needs to be accomplished. So that kind of connected with that uh, previous point as well. I think we're left in this film wondering about the difference between love and obsession. In your synopsis, Scott, you said maybe they were lovers, maybe they were in love, maybe they had a relationship. It seemed like even in your summary, you weren't exactly sure what the relationship between Ida and Nora looked like. How would you understand Nora's uh, feelings for Ida? Is this love? Is it obsession? Is it both? What was your take on that relationship? Yeah, I, it was unclear to me. Um, it, it was unclear to me because, you know, it seemed like they were friends. Okay, these are really good friends, maybe best friends. But then as Nora is explaining the and admitting or confessing in the car to Ida that she actually did, you know, Alias was right. She actually did make this up and why she made it up. And as she's describing it, she's saying, um, well, so Ida, you were infatuated with Alias and I thought I was going to lose you. And so I needed to win you back. I needed to do something so that so this is either a kind of obsessive romantic kind of love or just an obsessive friendship love. I don't, I mean, it didn't ever really give a strong indication that they, that they had sort of a sexual or, um, you know, lesbian sort of relationship, but that there, but there definitely was some kind of obsession on Nora's part for Ida. Didn't want to lose her to this guy. And, um, so she did this and to make him look bad and to, uh, solidify her friendship with her. Yeah, actually, they kind of blow off the idea of uh, of it actually being like a lesbian relationship. At one point, uh, she says, uh, that uh, that's it, I'm done with guys, I'm switching teams or something like that. And they lays on top of Ida and they just giggle a little bit. And, and it's like the silliest, they, they present it as the silliest thing ever. Uh, I, I think it actually kind of played out like a obsessive friendship. And, and that's a common theme also, right, that... Uh, a guy or a girl comes between the two friends and there's resentment there. Uh, it, it did not, it did not seem like, uh, didn't seem like it connected to that early, uh, anger from the father about sex that does, doesn't transfer to later in the film to make this about a, about sex. It seems like it is more about just this obsessive friendship. Yeah. They, so this idea of sex and love and friendship you know, I think it does get mentioned several times, so it's kind of a thread. I, I'm not sure there was a good, I didn't really like how that ended up. I mean, that whole thing, it just kind of was there, and it didn't really have kind of a statement at the end to, to satisfy me on that. But so, yeah, from the very start, even when, when the four of them at the beginning, when the four of them are heading up to this campsite, and uh, the, the guys and the girls are, are talking, and they're talking about the differences between guys and girls, and Alias, who's driving the car, says that, you know, guys are more interested in sex where women are more interested in love. And so they're discussing it. You know, um, do you you know what's important to you? Love, sex. How do those things relate? I thought I was going to get more of that kind of conversation. It just got hinted at a little bit later, but 
you know, I, I felt like they missed an opportunity to do something really interesting with that. Yeah, whether the relationship was one based on love or just an obsessive friendship ultimately was not uh, essential to the way the film ended. I probably would have taken just a little bit different take than you two guys did. Uh, as they're in the car and she's beginning to draw out of Nora what the truth is, it seems at that point that Ida is saying some things where she feels like she knows that Nora's feelings toward her go beyond that of just a friendship. And it seems like at first Nora's a little bit defensive of, defensive of that, but then kind of uh, relents and acknowledges that there's something much more here important to her. But either way, uh, like you say, it doesn't necessarily, uh, those, those pieces are not tied together. Uh, but there is obsession taking place here, so without question. You know, there is uh, a Chinese proverb that says, when you go looking for revenge, you first dig two graves. And this is, without question, a story of revenge and of freedom. Uh, you will be set free if you murder these people. Of course, Nora says that with her own intentions, with her own ideas of what freedom is going to be like for her, because now she has free access to Ida and the relationship, whatever that relationship might look like. Um, Revenge and vengeance. Uh, picking up on those themes, uh, Danny, anything to say about that theme or that topic that you saw in the movie? The uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a tale of a tale of revenge, but the thing that's being av avenged is not real. It's it actually, I think it like Scott was talking about with the the the. the the idea of sexuality and the difference between men and women, it seems like another theme that's not ever tied up or driven home or it doesn't end up having any real impact. Like the whole thing is set up as a revenge tale, but you really only get about, you know, a few minutes in the middle that there's, act, you know, we actually think there's revenge, not a few minutes, but you know, a little ways in the middle and then eventually it you know when the other killer because the girls are killers but when the other killer shows up it all that is just thrown away and and I, and I think that the ending with the other killer may have just ended all of the threads that the interesting threads that the film had set up and then we've got to decide is the killer and that history is that interesting enough to pull us through the rest of the movie. Yeah. So if I'm so this revenge idea, um, yeah, uh, we don't know that at first. Okay. So you don't know that there's. I mean, you know that Ida has been wronged in some in some way. Um, once they the boys are killed, and you find out Nora killed at least one of them. Um, and you figure out why it takes a little little doing before you kind of know why yeah so this is a revenge for Ida but yes it, it wasn't based on a real crime alias didn't really do anything I I thought yeah revenge is there is but it's not like I wouldn't call it a revenge movie when I think of a revenge movie I think of something like you know Kill Bill that's a revenge movie there, revenge is a major theme in a lot of 
um, literature all over the place. And I think of like um, more classical stories or, or Shakespeare or something like that. Often revenge is portrayed as a bad thing. If you try to take revenge, you're going to be destroyed. Um, but sometimes now, so like with the Kill Bill thing, what Quentin Tarantino does with that, at least, is that revenge is sweet. <laughs> you don't, uh, you know, it's um, it, it, it's a good victory, okay? But I think maybe this, if it's got a revenge theme to it, this movie maybe is more like that classic idea because Ida doesn't really end up in a very good spot. She's alive, but she, she doesn't end up in a very good uh, conclusion because they all suspect that she's actually killed all of her friends. So if she if you want to look at it as a revenge movie and she's the Avenger, yeah, okay, then it's got kind of that classic motif of of it backfiring onto her. Yeah, that's my take on the movie. I see it exclusively as a revenge film that backfired on her. So the co-conspirators uh, who are taking revenge, as you say, on a issue that didn't actually even happen, but she doesn't know that. She's acting on the very good faith that these photos actually exist, and it turns completely on top of herself where she becomes the one now who is accused of the very thing that uh, a maniacal killer from 1960 has done. And that's why I say you first dig two graves. You dig one for the person you're going to revenge, and then you dig one for yourself because revenge never works out like you wanted to, except I guess if you're Quentin Tarantino, right? Apparently what you just said. So I, I think if you take revenge out of it, the movie makes no, it doesn't make any sense. At the beginning, it looks like it's just going to be another campy cabin in the woods. Uh, let's try to find a way to get teenagers in the woods and get them killed. But then you begin to pick up on the different elements of why they're doing what they're doing and the wonderful twist of Nora actually being the one who was the murderer. I wasn't for sure. I didn't know if it was Elias uh, or if it was going to be. I thought it might be something internal just because of the way that Ate and all the rest were, were so invested in what they were doing there with the reconstruction and everything. Uh, but what ultimately comes out is, no, this is a story of getting back at someone uh, in order to accomplish a goal. And there's so many different yeah, I, moving parts there. Yeah, I'd be with you. I mean, I think that's what the middle of the movie is. I think the middle of the movie is is it's all about that. But when the the other guy and we I didn't mention this. I don't think we mentioned this. This 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 other nameless person from the woods, he's who's like a giant. It's it's implied that he's the one that actually hatcheted Ate, the first kill. So he killed that guy, and then he ends up killing Nora, and for whatever inexplicable reason sets um, Ida free. I think once he shows up, the whole revenge of the girls and who's obsessed with whom, that kind of falls off. And now it's who's this name? You know, now it's a slasher movie, okay? Now it's a slasher movie because you got this nameless guy that whose identity you don't know who says nothing or very little and he and there's no motive he just kills whether he's the 1960 killer or or just something else then i think it becomes a, almost a kind of a different movie is all right for me though because it was still interesting it just wasn't a perfect way to do it in my opinion yeah i was going to say like it this this is a thriller if you 
if he doesn't show up, right? It's it's not it's set up like a slasher film with the kids going camping, but everything that plays out after that is is a, a revenge thriller. But then when he shows up, he's a traditional slasher villain showing up in the movie, and then the movie for that point on plays out as if it was a slasher film from the beginning, um, which I think is interesting. And I was enjoying it as I was watching it. Like I just don't know if when I flash, when, when I think back on it, if I can figure out an overarching, you know, theme that you know that would tie it all together. Um, the 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 actual ending does not feel like a denouement, right? It doesn't feel like it's it's tied up everything. It just feels like maybe you've got almost two films here. The, the, with the the last twenty five minutes being a after the reveal being a, just a different kind of being an actual slasher film. Yeah, I kind of liked it though. I kind of liked how it, contextually they're in the position that they're in because of their desire to get revenge. That's why they're there. That's why they're in the woods. Uh, both of them thought the other one killed Ate, so Ate was not going to live through this experience one way or the other. And they would not be in the mess that they're in if it were not for their heart being set on revenge. And the fact that something else happens that skews the direction, the action, and even the theme into a different direction, I think that can be pretty neat. That's what Hitchcock did in the first 10 minutes of Psycho. This is a movie about a woman who uh, has a lover and she has to steal money from her employer in order to make the relationship work. And then a guy named Norman Bates shows up, and the movie goes in a very different direction at that point. But it's still uh, that money. And I love that scene where the, where the car goes down into the swamp, and that, that money is still in the car. It's not that the beginning of the film somehow doesn't matter, but it's, we've been taken now in a new direction, in a direction that kind of kind of brought everything together. So yeah, I, it's good. It's just, I like it when we don't see necessarily things face to face or on the same page. I think it tied up a little bit better for me than it sounds like it did uh, for you guys, which is cool. I think it's really interesting that Nora starts this movie accused of sinful behavior that she didn't do. And she finishes the movie uh, accused of quite a few behaviors that she didn't do. Now, she was involved in one of those murders, but uh, you, she you mean didn't Ida. actually take any You're talking about Ida. Uh, Ida, sorry, Ida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. It's very strange. Uh, yeah, that's a good it, point. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point, Danny, that, yeah, it starts out with her. Yeah, okay, I get that. That's, that's kind of neat. I, while I don't think thematically the movie is consistent, I think it kind of is a little bit fractured there, nonetheless... I did like the surprises. I did like the twists. I did enjoy, you know, right at first, you know, you think it's this psycho killer from before, and then you find out it's Nora, and then you find out that the girls each thought each other killed Atta, so there must be someone else, and then you find him. I mean, I kind of liked the twist. I thought that was clever, and um, it was smart. And But I, as I said before, I do, you know, for me, I think that I wasn't sure kind of what the um, what tied it all together. It was entertaining. Um, I, whenever we, you know, whenever you, can I just make sure that before we finish, I w let's talk for a second at some point about the original story that it's based on. 
I've written down here that this was an incredibly depressing film. So it, coming back to what you were just saying, Danny, because I had jotted that down as well, Ida ultimately cannot win here. Uh, first, she thinks that the whole world has seen these photographs of her in a compromising position. She sets out on revenge because of that. She takes part in murder, which is pretty brutal. As it turns out, the photos never existed, so she killed somebody for no reason. Then, in the context of doing these murders, she then runs into uh, the, the pathway of a serial killer. And you have to, the, the action scene of their car being drugged by the record was fantastic. What a beautiful sequence that was. thought it was absolutely wonderful. And then at the end of the movie, she accused for something that she didn't do. It's a very depressing movie in a lot of ways uh, that hits heavy. You're all thought that. When you, you, you don't really finish this movie and say, well, let's go get a, a glass of tea and have a good laugh. You know, there's, it's a very depressing movie in that sense. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's why I said you know at the beginning that I thought it was dark, not just the cinematography. Um, it, it is. Um, it's yeah. So it, it is a dark movie, but it you know somehow for me it it, it it still didn't hit me emotionally in the gut the way you know like a Midsummer or or Hereditary or some of these others that this one is like those in the sense that there's no happy ending really and there's no um, justification and you know it's kind of pointless it just didn't hit me in the gut as much maybe I didn't maybe the movie was too short um, I, I just didn't have the same connection to Ida and I don't know uh, so I didn't I thought it was dark like you said and very depressing it just didn't seem to hit me emotionally as, as some other films yeah it, a couple times I was thinking of uh, The Lodge uh, especially that uh, that scene around the dinner table uh, but I know the broken family and the, uh, you know, just this real depressive, oppressive environment. Uh, but in, in the end, I, it did not hit me quite as hard as, uh, as a lot of these other films that we've talked about over the years. Um, I do want to say though, you mentioned the car dragging. This film had some really nice set pieces. Uh, I feel like this is a director that could put together a, a pretty amazing movie. I really liked uh, the car dragging. And I also really liked that, uh, Ida going diving for the keys that were in the body bag when they had dumped the bodies. I thought that was just an excellent, excellent scene. Um, that would have been the best scene in, in an even better movie. It was just really, really well shot and uh, real well paced and just I was, you know, I was freezing for her while she was doing it. Yeah, I was wondering uh, why did Ida get the short end of the stick on that? Maybe they literally drew straws. I don't know. It doesn't explain, does it? Why Remember, Ida goes in? No. Yeah, she was a uh, champion swimmer. Oh, did they? Oh, I missed that somehow. Okay. They mentioned she's a member of the swim team or something like okay. that. Okay. She said, "You're the one with the medals." I think is the line. Because at one point, Nora had already been in the water. And had swam a little bit and gotten cold. And I was like, hey, man, you've already been in. You just go on in again. But that's why she was a swimmer. Okay. Uh, people say that they saw the photos. So the rumor gets started. And, oh, yeah, everybody has seen these photos. Uh, we've all seen them. Of course, we know why Nora said she saw them. She had uh, a very specific purpose in mind. But nobody else did. And they all said that they saw them. So the great movie... Um, Dead Poets Society, there's that wonderful scene where Professor Keating has 
them walking in a circle and they end up all walking with the same cadence and people start clapping. The rest of the students start clapping and they are clapping and, and uh, Keating then makes the point, uh, if you think conformity is not an issue, then ask yourself, why were you clapping? Well, you're clapping because you heard someone else start clapping. Just an interesting thing. What, what is in the human heart that makes us say, oh yeah, I saw those photos when we really have absolutely nothing to gain from it, and yet it was all around the school. Everybody had seen them. Either of you want to comment on that? Yeah, this that reminded me so much of, uh, I actually teach a unit on uh, uh, the things in uh, life that could push us past our ethical boundaries, uh, and one of uh, the works we read is Doris Lessing's Group Minds, which she did an experiment where she had a bunch of people in a room, and a line was drawn on the board and everybody had to come up and measure it and write down how long it was. But only one person in the room was actually being studied. Everyone else was an actor and you know, whatever was on the board was like 12 inches and they all went up and said, yep, it's 11 inches. And the person who went up and measured it as 12, he also agreed it was 11. So he would, he would not even believe his own mind. He was, he would say 11, the person, the subject would say 11 inches, regardless of knowing that it was, you know, incorrect. Um, and that reminded me of this. The, you know, there was a group think going on. They were actually altering their own reality, and suddenly everyone was a part of it. Uh, uh, you have to feel for Ida in that situation. Yeah. Okay. Um, those are the major elements that I have. A couple of the things that I thought were funny about the movie, just just some little points here. At one point, Elias says, after he leaves the tent to go check on the strange noise that he has heard, knowing that this is the location of a former mass murder, he says, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted the guy from Scream to show up and be like, no, what do you do? You can never say that, right? If you say that, you're going to die. So it was just so funny. And then... Ida, of course, knows why Nora is being left alone at the tree. But did you find it a little strange that Elias agreed to leave her? I mean, they had just seen Ate be sliced open and left for dead. It wasn't that far away. Don't they try to get Nora out of there no matter what? Was it, was that, do we just have to suspend disbelief there for a while? Or did you? Yeah. It, Go ahead. It was kind of ridiculous, right? Uh, I was like, you can't possibly leave her behind here, because uh, at that point we didn't we didn't right. know they knew, but we didn't know, and it just seemed absolutely ridiculous. I agree. I I, I thought that was kind of strange too. I mean, he wasn't, um, you know, there wasn't very much chivalry there, leaving leaving her by herself. Even though, I mean, he does ask her. He says, "Are you sure?" And she says, "Yeah." And so, like like he had a second thought, but it didn't last. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, that was that wasn't. Um, uh, too convincing. I, I just want to go back for a second to um, the group think thing and um, and you know everybody kind of jumping on the bandwagon and you know people that said that they saw the photographs and telling each other about it and how bad they were and then kind of mocking Ida and uh, te- you know teasing her, mistreating her, whatever. Uh, and, and I liked that example that, Danny, that you gave. Um, you know, there's been a lot of things like that, right? There have been these studies that show that people will just sort of sacrifice. They'll turn off their conscience if, you know, this is, if, if it's the thing to do, if it's the context, if it's social pressure. I don't know what it is about human beings. And probably, if this were real, probably all those people that said that they 
you know, were making it up that because the photos didn't exist. They probably really thought they had seen them after a while. They probably really thought they had seen them. Uh, you know, it makes me think of things like the the Stanford prison experiment and, you know, the the one where they have the, the test subjects shocking an actor and he thinks he's yeah. killing him with electricity. But he keeps doing it because the lab technician says do so. There's, yeah, Milgram's obedience to yeah, authority. Yeah, yeah, the Milgram study. There, there's all sorts of studies like this that show that people do kind of turn off their conscience either to kind of go with the group or just because that's what they're supposed to do. And we can somehow just sort of transfer that responsibility onto off of ourselves. So I thought that was an interesting. Yeah. So you had mentioned you want to talk a little bit about the original story, the true story. So run with that. I, you know, I. OK, so so I don't have a, I don't have a lot to say. I just think it's interesting. And I. I knew after I read a little bit, I don't, I usually don't read very much before we watch these movies. So, I, but I knew enough from what I saw that, that this movie wasn't actually about those murders that it was, it, I was kind of hoping it would be, um, the whole true crime thing I think is, is kind of interesting. Um, the, the only thing that I, that I the only comment I wanted to make other than they said that at some point I, I read that this was the most, you know, one of one of the great uh, examples of serial killers or mass killers or whatever in Finland. I mean, Finland isn't that large of a country, and the guy was never caught. Made me think of the Zodiac from from here, but um, but okay. So in the original murders, three of the young people were killed and one survived, and that's that was kind of what happened in this movie. Three were killed, one survived. I would. I thought it would have been kind of cool if there might have been more parallels, more tie-ins with uh, with the historical story. But that's the only one I. That's the only one I saw. I, I don't know if you guys spotted any other, or was that just sort of a um, you know a way to set up the whole thing? When uh, when the killer has them at the end tied up, it, they're in the 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 uh, bikinis that mm-hmm. match. Uh, they hadn't been in those before, right? He has changed them into right. those. Yeah, so so there you he go. Was, he was staging at least you know a repeat of his of his killings. So is that? I mean, is that why he spared Ida? I mean, because he does. He has them both. He could kill them both, but he only kills right. Nora. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Maybe that's why, because there had to be one survivor. I also wondered if maybe he had observed them enough <laughs> spied on them enough that he I, I don't know i mean why did he why did he spare Ida if in, unless he's just trying to uh replicate the murders from 1960 uh, yeah and at the beginning the whole reason uh, they're there is to reconstruct the 1960 murders which is unfortunately exactly what they do but with yeah but life. secretly they actually wanted to lure the killer out right they, they thought by reconstructing it, they may attract the killer. Which so, they did, uh, yeah. So do which we they, think which this, they did. So do we think this was the killer because that was like 60 years ago? Right. It, it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. But he is like a, I mean, he, if he's a traditional slasher guy, he could, you know, he could be oh. immortal or yeah, yeah. monstrous in some way. He's gigantic. He has that monstrous dog with him. Um, it's a... Uh, I think he's a great, I mean, I would watch another horror movie with him as the killer. I thought he was really effective, but uh, it just seemed sort of 
disconnected. Yeah, he seemed like a, somebody that would be in a Rob Zombie film. A tall, lanky, big animals yeah. around him. Um, you know, they kind of addressed it at one point. Some One of the guys says, well, you know, if he was really young in 1960, he could still be alive. Mm. So they tried to open the door to that. And I think the other connecting piece is at the very end, of course, we have another group of young people who are at the exact same spot, and they're saying, here it is, this is where it all happened, and you almost get the impression that the cycle is getting ready to continue once again. Somebody hears a noise, and they look behind her and see what's going on. So that was kind of another tie-in to that, I think. Well, and there is sort of a, I mean, people do have kind of a, maybe even a, well, People have a fascination with true crime, right? And they have a fascination with serial killers. Some people, because, you know, when Ida is talking to Atta about it, and Atta is the one that wants to reconstruct it, he'd hidden them, hidden that fact from them, the girls. And But 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 Ida was pointing out, well, you guys kind of just really get off on that. I mean, why is it that you're so fascinated? And he says, well, I just want to know the truth. But she's like, no, but it actually really kind of turns you on. You really are excited about that. I think that's true. I think a lot of people, we're all, you know, most of us are probably fascinated by, by true crime, especially things that are bizarre and over the top, but and things that are unsolved. But, um, but yeah, it is kind of interesting that, it was almost kind of a fun. I mean, the kids at the end who appear to be trying to also relive the murders or go to the site, almost like going to a, a, like on a religious pilgrimage or something. They're laughing and smiling. It's kind of like a fun, scary, exciting thing, but it's really about a, a, a massacre that actually occurred to real people. But that is a thing, right? I mean, we all know people that, um, you know, collect memorabilia, you know, off of eBay from serial killers or we've heard of people that... Um, you know, just get very, very, maybe over, well, certainly overly into the the whole serial killer phenomenon. And maybe this kind of hinted at that a little bit. Yeah, very good. Anything else you guys want to discuss? That is all I had. I think we covered it. <laughs> I do. Okay, then that's our discussion on bottom from 2016. I think all of us would give it a thumbs up uh, and recommend it. I maybe liked it a little bit more than Scott and Danny did, but it's an interesting film, many, many corners to turn, a lot of twists and um, yeah, a well-made film. So give it a, give it a shot see what you think. Let us know, join the conversation with us, Facebook, Twitter, and again, subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast catcher. Keep tuning in every week. For more episodes of The Blackest Eyes, on behalf of Scott and Danny, thanks for listening. Stay scared. We'll see you next time.